This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. A very good evening to all and welcome to tonight's installments of Beyond Governance. Uh, my name is Nimrod Mbele. As always, it is my pleasure to be in your company as we continue to probe very complex and topical issues in our country. Uh, talk of complexity, we know that um, we have the Zondo Commission, which is investigating um, in a state capture, which is currently underway. Um, and that f- never fails to deliver fireworks. Um, we also have, amongst others, the Mahore inquiry into the fitness of Advocate Jiba and Lawrence Mkhoibi to hold office. That equally is spitting fire. And, and, and last week we've had the 25th uh, State of the Nation address by the President. And, 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 and for me, that's, that's probably one of the biggest highlights of this year because that tends to um, open a, a way in terms of how we're going to look at the politics and economy of the country you know, for 2019. And as expected, the, 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 the members of parliament are having a fist in terms of what the, 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 the president's state of the nation address has always been about. And I must say, you know, ESCOM is not adding, you know, value from that point end because the country's literally uh, been overshadowed, uh, literally for that matter, with the kinds of, uh, you know, uh, outages that we have seen. And that, that further undermines the, the extent to which the country needs to move away from, from, from the kind of uh, economic conundrum that we're finding ourselves in. So tonight's conversation essentially is going to be around um, how we... We, we really get to grasp with uh, a number of pronouncements made by the president um, around, you know, uh, the economy in the main, you know. Um, be that as it may, we will join in studio, we will be joined online by Carl Wegner, um, who is the lecturer at the West Business School, you know, to give us a sense of his view of the State of the Nations Address. And, and in taking that conversation forward, um, I'm joined in studio by... Um, a known figure uh, to hire firm, particularly for this particular show. His name is other than Justice Indaba, who is the head of strategy at Knowledge Anchor Group. And before we tackle the issues that um, are obviously on the menu tonight, let me thank Kathy uh, for gracing the airwaves. Let me thank Sasha Starr. Let me thank Simon Aston. Let me thank Mendy. Let me thank Lindy Ware, um for literally keeping guys, um, you know, entertained for the past couple of hours. And moving on to, to um, you know, um, tonight's conversation, um, which which centers around the 25th annual state, uh, state of the Nation Address um, in a free democratic con- uh, South Africa, um, I want to reflect on few, you know, um, stanza articulated by the president um, on the 7th of February when he when when he delivered the 25th State of the Nation Address. Um, he maintained that during the course of this year, we must and we will reflect on the journey of the, of, of, of the country over the past 25 years. He further went to say, we must, I quote, we must spend this year, the 25th anniversary of our freedom, asking ourselves whether we have built a society in which all South Africans, equally and without exceptions, enjoy their inalienable rights to life, dignity and liberty. Close quote. And I'm tempted to ask a question. Say, let's go beyond question, let's go beyond just pondering about the rights and freedom and dignity. Let's ask a much more fundamental question on how do we address as a society inequality, unemployment and redress. 
And this variable, in my view, have a fundamental or that resonates with ethical leadership. And truth be told, we are in this kind of conundrum as a country because we are lacking in this space. Anyway, this is my view. In making sense um, of these issues, I'm joined in studio by Carl Wagner, um, who is a, a, a lecturer at the Best Business School, um, to give us a sense of that very essence of what the president has talked about from a leadership point of view. And I believe Carl is on is, is joining us. Carl, good evening and welcome to Beyond Governance. Nimrod, good evening and thank you for the opportunity to, to join you and good evening to the listeners. Hi, Carl. Hi, Joseph. How are you? Good. Uh, good to speak to you. Thank you very much, Carl. Um, um, as, as I introduced the, 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 the conversation, Carl, I alluded to the fact that the president um, stated that um, the, the 25th anniversary of, of our freedom, we need to be asking ourselves that question. And for me, it, it, it goes beyond asking ourselves questions. You know, we need to be in a space where we, we stop pondering and asking ourselves questions about what could have, what should have. We need to be in a space where we're saying what ought to, what are the practical, actionable, tangible activities that we want to embark on to address unemployment, to address inequality, to address, um, you know, all the kind of stuff that President talked about for us to enjoy the inalienable rights to life, dignity, and liberty. What's your take on that, Carl? Nimrod, I, I, I certainly agree. And when you look at the concept of um, the, the percentage of unemployment, the inequality, uh, rights, dignity, it's a very challenging issue we have in South Africa because we have got many individuals and many organizations that do contribute significantly to the welfare of others. However, if you have a look at society, you have a look at um, our current figures of unemployment, you have a look at issues of freedom, dignity and rights, we cannot sit back and claim that we have been successful. Um, an immense amount of work is still required in spite of the good that is done by many organizations. Um, and to my mind, and you've mentioned it earlier, it has to go back to, or a key part of it has to go back to leadership. And it has to go back to leadership not only in the pu public sector, but also in the private sector. Um, and one could say that that's not fair and the public sector need to do what they need to do. But it's not going to get right. It's not going to come right. It's not going to improve until we are able to create opportunities for people, to create opportunities where they, which are fair, which in, upholds the dignity and the freedom of others. So... A huge amount of work is required from leaders both in public sector and private sector. We can't sit back and wait for somebody else to do this. It has to be driven um, by all individuals. And fairly or unfairly, it has to be driven to a significant degree by the private sector in spite of what they are doing already. I couldn't agree with you more, um, Carl. And one thing that, that I picked up most South Africans did um, is the, the language that the president um, used, um, which marks the departure from his predecessor in terms of the role of government vis-a-vis -vis, um, job creation. He was very mm -hmm. clear that the, the, the role of government is to facilitate space for entrepreneurs to leverage on and, and really make business case for them to thrive. Would you say Quite perhaps good. maybe that that's kind of a trajectory that the South Africa needs to be uh, moving towards? And if that is the case, what is it that private sector needs to be, you know, uh, taking advantage of that um, uh, in, 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 as, in as far as uh, in as far as unemployment is concerned? 
Quite correct. Um, we had an interesting week last week because I was part of a, a new program launched in Kenya, which is called the Global CO Africa program. And that is for, for African COs to look at their role as COs in Africa. And it was a very interesting program because it was a joint venture between ESE Business School, Strathmore Business School and Lagos. Conclusion. However, from a lot of the debate was that we need private sector to drive the economy. The government, a government cannot drive the economy. The government can harm the economy. The government can enable the economy. But the government cannot create a strong economy. They can create the policies, the procedures, and the framework for an economy to grow. And that does then require the, the private sector to come, to come to the party and, as I've already said, continue to come to the party because it's not as if we are doing nothing. But it is that leadership that will allow people to, who are entrepreneurial to flourish. It is that leadership that will allow um, organizations to grow. It is the support that we we provide for up-and-coming um, entrepreneurial businesses to be able to create employment. Um, and I think we have to accept in, in an African context, and not just a South African context, that it is fine to make a profit, but we have to understand our responsibility to contribute to society and to contribute to our country. And until we start doing that, we're not going to get out of the situation that we are in. But talking of getting out of the situation, Carl, what comes to mind to every South African at this point in time? And, and firstly, I want to give you credit in that private sector is a strategic partner, is a strategic player in so far as addressing unemployment because they, you know, it isn't a DNA of the private sector because it's, it's actually entrepreneurial in its flavor. Uh, but how do we really Escalate the role of private sector amidst the bosses of this world, the VBS of this world. Yeah. Um, it has to, I think you mentioned it earlier, there has to be a strong element of ethical leadership. I think we have to understand that there has to be a continued focus um, on contribution to society. Um, I actually have the view that, and it's perhaps a bit drastic, but I think we have to accept in South Africa and in Africa, but particularly Southern Africa, South Africa, you can say we are in a state of crisis. This is not, and I don't believe it can continue to be business as usual. This cannot be corporate South Africa, private sector saying, we're going to carry on making money and then we're going to make a contribution through our CSR um, or our corporate, our corporate social responsibility. I think we actually have to realize it is far more dire than that. And we need to have um, a strong commitment to continued profits in our organization. But we've got to look at issues like shared value, creating shared value, Find ways that we can grow the economy together with the with 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 the community, um, and until we can start looking at those responsibilities, and I, I I'm perhaps being drastic, but I actually do feel we're in a state of crisis. Um, this is not business as usual. Look, Carl, I think I couldn't agree with you more because the president also conceded that we're in a crisis no. for the first time. That that we're not um, we, we are being specific about what is confronting the country. We're not talking challenges. We're talking crisis because the moment, you know, you, the moment you choose your words to illustrate the kind of quagmire you find yourself at, um, also illustrate the kind of thought processes or the thought level that you that you operate at. The fact that we are agreeing and conceding as a nation that we have got a crisis, not just a challenge, but a crisis, because the challenge. In terms of, of, of the levels uh, of risk 
does not warrant the same level of intervention, the same level of dosage when you've got a crisis. Crisis require a completely different uh, intervention. Would you agree with me? Most definitely. Um, and and I, I have these pictures, and, and, and again, I'm perhaps being too dramatic, but I have these pictures of a country at war. And when a country is at war, then all energy goes into fighting that. And, and, and I don't know that we've put all of our energy into fighting this crisis. I think we need to, we need to, to, to combine forces, combine energy. Um, and I think we've got to fight. We've got to fight the corruption. We've got to fight the lack of leadership. We've got to continuously focus on the community. And that does sound drastic and it probably is drastic. But I think it is about gearing yourself up to fight a war, to fight a crisis not just to sort of do business as usual and make a contribution. My part in short, Carl, uh, in your space globally, where you're operating at, what would you say are the sentiments of this new administration with regards to the turnaround strategy? Uh, I think there's, I think there's many positives. Um, I think as we've said before and, and particularly relevant now is it is time to, to, to end the debate and the discussion. It is time for delivery. So I like what I'm hearing, but it is time to start seeing the results and seeing the effort and seeing performance. Um, we've talked about SOEs for, for a long time. We've talked about corruption for a long time. And I think it's, it's, it's vitally important that we start tackling the problem as a crisis. It's vitally important that we start seeing real leadership to address these issues. And very importantly for the public, it is time to start seeing some results. And that is part of the challenge that I think the, the, the president is dealing with is he needs to start showing those results. Um, he needs to make sure that he is delivering on those issues. SOEs, the economy, the corruption. We need to start seeing tough leadership, um, responsible leadership, and we need to see results. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there, Carl. Thank you very much for um, a breathtaking uh, insight on those very complex issues. Great pleasure. Thank you for your time. See you, thank Carl. You. See you on the airways. Thank you very much, Carl. Good. Thank you. Bye-bye. There, there you have it. That is Carl Wagner, who is the uh, elect- senior lecturer at the West <coughs> Business School, giving us really insights on... Um, the state of nation address and alluding to very pertinent issues which uh, we now need to go beyond. I mean, I couldn't agree with him uh, more and I suppose uh, all the listeners uh, are pretty much in sync with Carl's thought processes. Let's hope these kinds of thought processes just transcend beyond just thinking but um, materialize somehow. Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele. Welcome back. It is now 26th after 6. If you've just joined us, we've just had a conversation with Carl Wagner, who is the uh, lecturer at the Vets Business School, giving us insights on the, you know, the state of the nations, more reference to, you know, actions that we need to be seeing other than words that we are hearing. Um, I implore you to weigh in on our conversation. Our SMS line is 34519. My email address is nimrod at high.co.za. And of course, the Twitter handle is at high.fm. Um, I just want to take this conversation further with the, with Justice Ndaba here, who I've you know, introduced, you know, as obviously a more like a furniture uh, at High FM, uh, just to really, you know, tweak his brain around what Carl said. I mean, Carl made reference to very pertinent economic driver, i.e. the SOE, the state-owned enterprises or the state-owned corporations um, in terms of the turnaround. Unfortunately, the president is very clear 
in terms of what progress has been done in cleaning the SOE space. Um, sadly, it doesn't seem like the war has been won. I mean, ESCOM being a case in point, PIC being a case in point, SAE being a case in point. Let's look at, for an example, PIC. I mean, the, the kind of shenanigans we're picking up from PIC, which is, by the way, the largest uh, investor, you know, uh, close to about, you know, 2.3 trillion rands of public money is in shambles. PIC is in shambles. SAA is in shambles. SA ESCOM, you know, we are currently experiencing level two or level three of road shedding. That also further undermines economic growth as it were. Justice. When the president uh, made reference to the progress made, surely uh, the words uttered and the, the reality that we're seeing from from the newspapers and from you know uh, different uh, aspect of media, one might say these incidents do not inspire confidence. It's more like the words. Is there anything tangible around the turnaround around SOEs? Um. <coughs> Good afternoon, Doc. How are you? Good and you, sir. Good and you. Always have you around. Always, always. <laughs> Unlike everybody else, I mean, um, let's let's not forget the man has been in in it for a year, for twelve months, twelve months this month. But I've I've been reading up on a couple of these SOEs, and unlike many people, I I I am of the view that for for a change, there are tangibles. Um, I I had a discussion with uh, some people within SAA, and I've looked at their numbers. Um, and if you look at for the first time in terms of its turnaround strategy, looking at the turnaround strategy, well, I think we are lucky in the sense in the sense that uh, the current CEO of SAA is the turnaround specialist, right? So I looked at the kinds of things that they're doing in terms of focus on the things that are very fundamental in, in, in turning around organizations and, and read my word, my lips. I think the ship is turning of the SAA. Um, it will take time, obviously, given the problems that we come from, right? So, um, there's a new board. You haven't heard about SAA for a long time. So meaning that they are busy looking at the, the very th- fundamentals that are key in the, um, in the, in the, in the, in the industry of aviation, which remember aviation is not a very, very easy industry. And, and to turn around such an industry would take time, but for, for you to achieve certain things within um a year or two means that you are tackling the fundamentals which goes into the cost structure which goes so if you look at that but, but just can I just interject can, can I can I no can no no I, can I, can can I, can I, I go interject. to that <laughs> all right yeah interject but it, it's South African's justice you know we need to go beyond this academic assessment uh, almost rational, you know. This is my point, Justin, because I, I, I think South Africans really want to teach the results. We, we are very, almost like wired to rationalize, wired to give explanation, wired to give perspective that are supposedly meant to be palatable to the public, whereas the, whereas we don't really seem to 
give what the public require. I mean, that's that's my view. Yeah, but the the fact of the matter is still the public has to be. If that is the view of the public, we owe it to the public to explain to them that it is not easy turning around organizations. As you know, it does not. It's not a matter of months. It's a matter of years. And yet, the explanation I'm giving is that. At least within a year, this, because remember, when you turn around, you must arrest the cost structure. You must arrest the cost of you making business, meaning that uh, certain things that are hemorrhaging in terms of the financials, you have to arrest those because it means you are bleeding money, which is what uh, ESCOM is trying to do. So what I was trying to, to, to come to is in terms of SOEs, right, which is the question I was answering, when you tackle the hemorrhage in terms of SOEs, where does it start? Governance structures. Okay, so that's what I'm meaning. I'm meaning that if you look at all of the SOEs involved, within the last 12 months, they are almost all of them, there are new boards. And all of these boards are, are classified from an independence perspective. That's the point I'm making. Meaning, and you've seen, Recently, many of these boards have resisted uh, political interference. So, which means it's a good sign by itself. Because remember, part of our problem previously was we had boards that had political interference from the shareholder perspective. Now, we've, we've got qualified in all of these SOEs, many of them, including SAA, the new board, which is why you don't hear as much about them, is because the new board with, uh, for instance, let me give you one just simple example. Many of the previous boards would almost meet periodically every month or every so over, however often as a board. I mean, why would you need a board that meets about 10 times? You know, so recently with these new boards, they are, they, they're sticking to their schedule. They understand the demarcations in terms of what the board is supposed to do, what the executives are supposed So if you look at the SAA, for instance, and the boards I'm talking about, they've met as scheduled, in meaning they've met in the quarter. So they, they don't pretend to be the managers of the, of the entity. They've given direction to say, um, this is, these are the things that you must have, you are supposed to do, give us reports. So that's those are the things that I look at from a turnaround perspective and from a leadership perspective to say how interfering is this board in terms because that's where governance collapses because that that's the point. So I've looked at the meeting schedules, even on the meeting schedule, the boards in the SAA, for instance, have met when they were required to do to meet. They didn't meet. Uh, on convenience so that they, so, so that is a fundamental for me, you know. So, 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 so those are the kinds of things I'm, I'm giving as examples. I'm glad, Justice, that you are illustrating practical, um, you know, things that were worrying to most, um, you know, administrators. We've seen in the past where, firstly, you know, you bleed money because you don't have the right set of skills. You don't have the right sets of people deployed at the right positions. That's why you bleed money. You bleed money because there's a lot of interference. And you bleed money because SOEs are used uh, to line pockets, to line up pockets of individuals. Your case in point, uh, we've noted in a number of SOEs, the number of meetings, 
uh, of which um, you know the, the board members were suffering money because you you appear every 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 time you come through uh, to a meeting you justify and you get paid for it. Mm. So so that has been one of the biggest issue, um, and I've always maintained that um, for board to be more effective, you need to have seasoned you know practitioners practitioners at both at leadership and management level because they are also committed elsewhere they are not waiting for a board meeting they're not waiting for a board subcommittee meeting to earn money you know they are busy managing their own entities so if you're saying to me based on what your observation has been now flate it then then that inspired that inspired confidence in that we're not going to have board members that just sit at home and called unnecessary meeting because that gets to a point where there are interferences. Because the interferences are not so much about issues at hand, it's about lining up pockets. Mm. So if that's the sense that you are getting in as far as the turnaround, which, which also by the way, just a minute part, um, of, of ethos that we need to be seeing in most of the SOEs, then we are moving towards a, a, a greener, greener pasture. Yeah. But but maybe another follow-up uh, justice uh, on, on this can, issue. Can I can just complete on this point that, that before we close the SAA as an example? So, um, which really I think we agree by and large. Why I say we are agreeing is that even in the SAA as we speak, the um, I spoke about the issue of uh, Mr. Vuyana Charan, who is the new CEO. So, but. The rest of the board, if you look at, even in terms of independence, in terms of qualifications, this particular new board, at least within the board, you would see that a number of them have aviation in uh, experience. So th- that makes a huge difference because the um, the if you've got experience within the board, yes, you have to have independence. At least you begin to tackle also the technical aspect of of the operational requirements so for that so so i was really trying to give you the the way the reasons why i think there has been improvement and there is slowly and you can see that across if you go to all the other soes of the new board at least there has been emphasis on technical experience technical expertise in the various fields whether when I say technical, I don't mean just, for instance, aviation. I mean, in the other ports as well, there's a lot of real emphasis when you've got an HR person, is a very highly qualified HR person who historically probably in their, in their records have not been found to be wanting elsewhere. So they've really, uh, I must commend uh, Minister Praveen on that because uh, the public enterprises uh, division has played a prominent part in restructuring many of these boards. So in many of the appointments that you see, you see people that are beyond reproach. No one is beyond reproach, but you see people that you can give confidence that they they cannot be swayed unnecessarily towards certain uh, areas that are not, uh, which is the problem with governance because people have meant have have, have 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 not done things that they were supposed to do because. That's how governance collapses. That's that's the point I was making. Thanks for the justice, but I also want to throw a spin in the works. Mm. Let's look at ESCOM, mm. the kind of quagmire we find, us, we find ourselves um, mm. in or at with regards to ESCOM. Mm. 
And it is not so much about, I contend, it's not so much about changing the board. Because you can have any competent boards until you are fundamentally addressing the organizational configuration. Okay, Now the president is talking about unbundling of ESCOM. Because perhaps maybe there, there, go, there is a sign of, or there's a science behind unbundling of ESCOM. Because that sits at the heart of the business model, as it were. Because we have seen most of the state-owned enterprise, enterprises failing, even, this, even though we have had new boards, competent, knowledgeable, skilled, the works. You know, we've seen it before. And I think we, we, we're now in a space in South Africa where we're not just addressing superficial, um, you know, issues, get into the deep, um, you know, uh, co- structural configuration of entities. Um, that, in my view, can only give us a sense of how and how fast um, the turnaround can become more meaningful. Look... Um, technically, turnaround takes three years, right? Technically. Any turnaround that is worth its salt would take a minimum, minimum time of three years. But, despite that, what I'm saying is that, especially if you are turning around in the, turning around in the South African context, uh, because there are so many dynamics that are involved, for instance, ESCOM. I think what was an unfortunate, probably the president will, will clarify tomorrow. Because if you look at, by the way, tomorrow also there's a, a big march by the unions towards ESCOM. So there's a shutdown of, of the union movement. So hopefully, while the, because the president on Thursday is doing an answering session, I'm hoping that uh, while he does that, he clarifies the fact that even though in his statement he said, look, we are restructuring uh, in terms of unbundling ESCOM, that does not mean for the unions that it's a fait accompli. It just means that that is our thinking. Therefore, the other processes that are involved, because we are in South, Af- we are in South Africa, we are a constitutional uh, democracy, we are a labor uh, sensitive industry uh, 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 country, meaning that there's still consultation processes that must happen, meaning that those that are, 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 are stakeholders in the system will still be consulted, meaning that there would be a point where while this unbundling proposal is tabled for ESCOM stakeholders, the, then all the stakeholders will be presented with the proposal. Okay, so hopefully what he needs to clarify is exactly that, to say while we are unbundling, because I'm sure, well, the the unions, if you know them, NUMSA is very huge at ESCOM, NUM is very big, uh, Main Verkas Ini is very big. So you have to take that into into perspective, that they would not allow you to just go and implement that. So that means... It delays your process in terms of what you can do and cannot do. But what we understand from the government's perspective is that they are signaling to us that it cannot be business as usual, meaning that this thing is hemorrhaging the economy. That's what they say. But there are processes that must still happen because for them to happen sufficiently, it means that they have to begin to consult with those 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 stakeholders. One of the issues, Justice, that would... Under normal circumstances, give confidence to presidents' utterances is the role of the 
um, you know, National Director of Public Prosecution. Mm. Uh, because we cannot deal with, um, you know, the, the mandate of SOEs outside the kind of support that it ought to receive from the National uh, Director of Public Prosecution. And, and my view, and I'm supposed um, most South Africans probably are sort of, you know, Inlated by, by this, by, by the appointment of Shamila Patoi, uh, to lead, to, to lead the revival of NPA and to strengthen fight against corruption. Because part of the quagmire we find ourselves, not only in, in ESCOM, SOE, um, SABC, DINEL, Transnet, it's fundamentally the collapse of corporate governance. To what extent do you think the appointment or the resuscitation of NPA as the crime busting entity that is credible will, will 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 sort of expedite the turnaround because without that kind of a in my mind without that kind of a a whip or a stick you know we cannot sustain turnaround because some of these acts that we've seen are more punitive you know not only punitive sorry I think they are not punitive but more almost like people were so okay with it you know. Um, they, 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 there was an act of impunity. The question for me is, to what extent do you think the resuscitation of NPA can propel or expedite the turnaround that we need to be seeing? Or would that, would that in your view, hammerage the kind of progress that to be seeing? I don't think, yeah. Look, to answer your question, I'm encouraged by some of the words that I heard and the action, followed by the action. Because, you know, uh, 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 Doc, the at least for now we can say with confidence there seems to be the will at a political level to back up the words which is what we were complaining about before right so because remember once the will at a political level is there everything else falls into place because remember I, I remember uh, last week I was reading some of the SIU reports. Some of those reports were 10 years old, including the, the recent arrest of Mr. Agrisi. That case is not recent. It's a 2010 case. But for some reason it was in the system and not moving, right? Because now if, for instance, at a political level you remove your support, it means the professionals who are professional Prosecutors can do their job, right? Isn't it? So now they can charge whoever, evidence permitting, because we are in a constitutional uh, 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 democracy, meaning that if there's an allegation, the prosecutors, uh, the investigators are supposed, now what the president announced is an investigating directorate. It's not necessarily the scorpions. It just means it's a similar issue. It's just that the, uh, now you, I'm hoping that with the investigative directorate, they are going to capacitate it, they are going to resource it, because if you capacitate and resource, because criminals have become very, very uh, sophisticated, right? Because these are, and what I, I, for me personally, was the distinction between uh, local and international, because some of the penetrations we've had in the country was international syndicates that are coming into the country. Now, if you don't have an investigative directory that has the 
the resources and the capacity to to stop the the international uh, 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 crime you have a problem right and internationally means also crime and also uh, uh, terrorism right so that is a problem. so for me that is the issue so for me that is a is a plus and also internally if the political the political support is removed it means a very senior person soon is going to go to jail literally you 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 actually uh, preempted my next question because south africans would like to see um prosecution of senior politician because that could only um signal the political will that you make in reference to because these things ought to be more than just words mm. you know um and 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 so far we've seen senior bureaucrats um the likes of linam t uh, who who has who has who has been arrested and who have been charged mm. and and hopefully one will begin to see escalation of that to a point where we've got senior politicians who are also held to account yeah. you know and there's i mean i mean uh, agrisi mentioned a number of politicians who were implicated yes the process the due course has to take place uh because we are not in a democratic dispensation we are always presumed in, in, presumed innocent until proven guilty but be that is in may until you know that political will that you make in reference to it is yet to be tested until we find every, until every south african can and vouch and attest or witness a conviction or or even just merely charging a senior politician, then we can take this 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 turnaround, um, you know, uh, scenario. Slightly, we can we can almost comprehend that we are indeed moving in the right direction. I think it is here. Yeah. I, I think uh, my observation is that the will has turned, and the the political will is there to tackle corruption. It's there in the sense that um, if you look at many of what is happening currently, the president has not interfered, at least on the face of it, right? Um, which is where the issue is normally, is that people know, they say, no, there's a, um, the principals like the president or the ministers are... Now all of them are being implicated and the president has consistently said, I'm not covering anybody. Now, he has said it in his own mouth. So that is the beginning of saying, I'm uncovering this uh, blanket that says is a will for you, for me to support you so that I cover up. He said, let the law take its course. I mean, that is as serious as possible. And at this stage, many of um, the these incidences touch the highest of the highest at the ministerial level, even the president himself. He had to go. Remember, the president had to go and present last week to the public protector uh, his involvement or uh, supposedly involvement in the Bosasa in terms of the 500,000 so that he explains that, that, look, I wasn't involved. Here are the documents and I was kept in the dark. And so, so it, 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 he, that is a demonstration that even when it involved himself, he presented himself to the authorities. Though for, for me, that is an example. And we should celebrate those things that we should be happy. It wouldn't happen anywhere else in the, at least in the, in the, in the, in the continent. 
but I know in in the in the other continents as well. It, I mean, and we're seeing it in South Africa already now. It, the president has presented himself. He had to go and explain, and he was on on ENCA recently also explaining his involvement in that one. So even when it involved himself, he had to. Now we are waiting the other processes to unfold for the other guys to go. Guadamantasha was on, on, on TV the other day exp- having to explain himself in terms of how did it happen that he got the CCTV uh, installed of his house. Now that's a minister. So the president probably said, look, it's your basic, and if you've done any wrong, you must be charged. So that's an, an, an illustration of that. One of the issues that the president spoke about in, in his State of the Nation address was the progress made in restoring policy certainty in mining regulation mm. and visa regime. Perhaps mm. maybe let's just spend time on mining regime, you know, because mining, even over time, has dwindled to become one of the central pillar of economic growth, and yet a, a sector that has huge potential moving forward. To what extent do you think we, we are now in a space where there's sufficient certainty, there is confidence from an investor point of view, bearing in mind that uh, mining has become capital intensive. It is no longer an, an, a sector which, which, was, which used to be labor intensive like it used to be before. Mm. Are we now comfortable uh, with all the kind of, of glitches that you've seen in the past, when he speaks of progress made uh, in restoring policy certainty in mining regulation, what's your take? Do you think it is just a, a more rhetoric or there's more substance in terms of progress made uh, in creating that space of certainty in mining? Uh, I th- I, for me personally, I think the I like the emphasis of the current administration to sway the negativity around the thought you know a lot of people in the last four years or so have have been referring at mining as a sunset industry and yet in if you look at the current administration including uh, the president himself They've, they've tried to, to give us hope to say, look, let's not refer at this industry as a sunset industry because we've looked at a lot of the resources within the mining industry. We looked at the number of deposits. Many of the deposits will take us 50 to 60 years for them to deplete. In fact, I know some of the new, uh, new Val Colliery deposits can go up to a hundred years. So why would an industry that at least have coal deposit of about 100 years in, in some instances for them to deplete be a sunset. So the, the, the current regulation merely talks about uh, what are the kinds of things like uh, Carl Wegner told you about the issue of, of a new shared value, meaning that the new mining entities need to understand that you cannot up- operate in isolation. And um, um, I mean, clearly the previous CSI policies have not worked, right? Meaning that there has to be serious involvement of communities in the, in the discussions when there are mines in and around the communities, where you have to identify what the values that are shared between the communities and the mines so that in partnership, 
those guys can work out. Now that the current amendment bill in mining works around that. So what Minister Mantash has done, remember, in, in restoring confidence was to accede to some of the thorny issues that were referred to when uh, Minister Zohane, um, Sebenzi Zohane, was still in charge. So what happened? Those amendments have been removed, which were a thorn in the part for the mining industry captains at the time. So that has been removed. But what is being reinforced and what the current institutional mining companies have done is to agree to some of these new shared value aspects, which includes uh, the, the, the downstream the, 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 some of the downstream industries that need to, 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 to be embarked upon so that the communities can, 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 the, the, can, can, can benefit, you see. So for that, that brings certainty. So the sooner that is signed into law, the better. Because now, uh, and, and you know, I think it helps that Mantashe and even, uh, uh pre- the president have been in the mining industry for a long. So, the, the relationships, and I like the, the emphasis on the social compact of, of insisting that there is, because we are South Africans, we are known to, to resolve issues around where there are really, really thorny issues. So, that amendment bill has been agreed to by, by all those involved. I'm hoping that sooner it will be signed into law. So, once that is signed into law, then there's certainty because it's there. And then, I mean, if you were in Cape Town last week when you looked at what was happening at the mine, mining in Daba, a lot of the mining companies were volunteering some of the projects that they're, they're intending to, to, to come with that will benefit some of the South Africans. So that is encouraging. Okay. My last part in short, Justice. By the way, thank you for that insight. And I think um, um, it has sort of shared, you know, a lot of insight or value for most of us who are still grappling with these issues um, as we continue to unpack the State of the Nation address. My part in short, though, Justice, is that the the President has, uh, you know, um, initiated a number of co- uh, conferences. Uh, one of them is that of investment, which which attracted close to 300 billion rands in pledges, um, you know, uh, from South Africa and, of course, in international company. When you have, when you are going globally to raise funds, uh, for investment, and, and in the same, in the same vein, the same kind of drive that you are pursuing is undermined by the likes of ESCOM. You know, over the past two days, how much, if somebody were to quantify loss of productivity as a result of load shedding, how does that how does that gel with the 300 billion range of investment? Because in my mind and anybody else, that 300, that 300, uh, 300 billion range of investment in the form of pledges by South African companies and international companies has been eroded already. We're chipping into that 300 billion range because of one utility that is not delivering what's in the owner's mandate. Your final shot on that. <laughs> Look, nobody would be happy with the current state of affairs in as far as ESCOM is concerned because, I mean, we didn't see this this one coming, right? Um, I listened to Minister Gordon now as to what they are, uh, they are doing and, and I'm just upset a little bit that they're still auditing and so on and so forth because I would have understood because if you look at the ESCOM situation, 
from 2015 or so, we've had war rooms after war rooms after war rooms of project of analyzing what need to be uh, what needed to be done. But in in the president's, so I'm not happy with the current situation, and no one should be happy. Um, but at the same time, in the the, the president's defense, uh, the new reaffirmation of the key economic policy objectives of reviving the fixed investment rates should prove as certainties to investors. And also, it should also, in the approach of the current regime of being transparent to investors, because all investors that are coming to South Africa have got the the ESCOM portfolio uh, that has been communicated to them. So, all of them know what the situation is. It's just about being appraising them of the latest. Just as unfortunately, you know, it's amazing how time flies. Uh, we're just about getting to the grips of this very, very, very complex issue. Once again, my brother, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for gracing our, our airwaves at High FM. Thank you, uh, Doc. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. You're, you're most welcome indeed. And um, I think we, um, we're going to have to sign up Tabo. On that note, until we meet again, it has been absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks, Kathy. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Carl, for your insight. Until we meet again, have a good one.